Hello, everyone. This is Fire Chief Paul Dow with Albuquerque Fire Rescue. Now, this podcast is designed to bring you helpful training and best practices and some additional resources that you can access from anywhere. So thank you for joining us and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everybody. This is the AFR podcast. Today, I'm joined by a classmate out of the 78th. We have Athena Valerio Hirschfeld. Welcome, Athena. Thank you. It's happy to be here. Yeah, good to see you again. It's it's uh, we don't run across each other very often in the field. Uh, what have you been doing the last ten years with your life in the department? Well, little bit of this, little bit of that. I uh, spent probably six months to a year doing FOC stuff. I was trained right out of the academy, and then decided to go to paramedic school. Once I did that, was promoted to driver, spent a few years at sevens, um, and then promoted to lieutenant and spent a little bit of time at 11s before going up to heart, which is where I am now. I've been there since no, well, middle of October of last year, and I am now the fall prevention coordinator, which is a fancy title um, for what I do, but I do... I supervise Steve, who's our carpenter for our home modification program. I also teach fall recovery classes at senior centers and try to help prevent as many falls in our city as we can. Awesome. Um, Have you been with Heart since they started? Yes and no. Um, So I was part of the initial people who showed interest and I received initial training, but I did not go up until uh, last year uh, just because I was on a promotional list and, you know, couldn't go up as a driver, couldn't go up as a lieutenant. So once a new position was open, that's when I went up. Okay, got it. Yeah. Can you just talk about that heart program a little bit? What's that been like and how's it different from the field paramedic, I guess? All right. Well, HEART program has been awesome. It stands for Home Engagement Alternative Response Team. Um, We have some officers in the field who are very fond of us. Um, They refer a lot of their repeat patient clients to us, people who aren't getting their needs met by 911, which is about 50% of what we do. Um, We also have a harm reduction program, which is going to be led by Jose Chavez, also a classmate of ours. And that one's going to be focused on substance abuse. So um, opiates, some meth, alcohol. That one's a little bit of a harder field to tack, but we know it's an issue in our city. And then our third tier is the fall prevention. And that is based on that it was our number three call volume. Now it's our number one, now that we don't go out on 26 alphas and 23s. But definitely an issue. And so we look at home modifications, dealing with grab bar installation, ramps, door widenings, anything that we can do minor modifications on. Um, Steve Salgado, a lot of us know he was with CIP. Um, He's with us now, and so I schedule him. Any officer who feels someone could benefit, they can send us a referral through Elite, and I can schedule it out and hopefully get to people sooner than senior affairs can or even recognizing whether or not they need help. And you said some field officers love uh, referring people to you guys. What do you think the actual usage is? Like how many, is it just a, a couple are giving you all your clients? You know, I am in, I also do our referral process. So I will say that there's probably a handful that give us the majority of our referrals. And then we have a few outliers who are at least aware of our program. And, you know, they may not do it all the time, but they refer people who they feel we can actually do something with. 
Okay. So say somebody hasn't actually gone through that process, what are they going to have to do? And, uh, what kind of people is the heart program looking for? <laughs> uh, well, we prefer people who actually have a residence. So our homeless individuals, while we recognize they're a problem, they're really hard to identify. So those referrals generally aren't the best. But if you feel as though they're at least at a consistent place, that is an option. Um, in Elite, there's two things that we need or that we prefer you to get. One is a HIPAA release. And that release is going to be under the worksheets tab um, on the far right. The HIPAA release is new. We added that in March, right before COVID happened and we went out into the field and things changed. But that HIPAA release allows us to access their patient records through something called New Mexico HIC, which is the Health Health Information Exchange, which by 2021, all facilities are supposed to enter into that. So we can look at um, who's calling, where they're calling, are they being transported, where they're being transported to, so we get a better sense of where they are. That HIPAA form, if it's not signed, we can't start working with an individual until it is signed. So if field units get it, that puts us one step ahead. The other part is um, on the left side of the elite screen, and it's the heart referral. And that is also beneficial because that's where it can be a little bit of a narrative of what the officer sees as to why they need assistance. You know, phone numbers are great, some sort of contact information, whether it's for the actual patient or family, friends, whatever, is also beneficial. But if you don't give me any information on what the issue is and I can't get a hold of them, it's much more difficult for the people in heart to start working with them because we don't even know where to start. And do you guys ever call the officer that did the referral or do you just try to go off of what they put down in that narrative and information in the referral form? We try to call the officer. Um, it depends how good the narrative is. Um, I also look at all the reports. So the referral process is a little bit thorough in the sense that I look at how many times the person has been called, I merge their records, I look at the address count, I look at APD's side if they've done anything. And so I call the officer for more information, but if you can give me the narrative, then I don't necessarily need to to call them. Um, But it does illuminate some things. They're like, oh yeah, there was this and this. And so something that on paper looks like, well, they've called twice, but then you get the backstory from the officer of them saying, well, you know, they're not taking their medications, they're not doing this, they're, you know, there's this issue, there's domestic, there's all these things, doesn't necessarily get relayed without that phone call. All right, so our topic today is going to be geriatrics, and we're going to specifically focus on falls since that's your expertise. Um, what percentage would you say of uh, heart patients are geriatric um, in the fall prevention home modification world, I would probably say 95% are. Um, for our repeat patient, geriatrics probably account for probably 60% would be my guess. Okay, so that'll lead us right into uh, you know defining a geriatric patient, old people, in case you guys uh, haven't heard that term before. But what's going on with you know, people's bodies that make them their own, you know, category of patients that we're going to have something called geriatric patients. What's different about them than just a normal adult? 
So with geriatrics, there is not a clear delineation of age. So like when we think of pediatrics, it tends to be on the onset of puberty. Um, with geriatrics, there's not really that clear delineation. Um, some people say 65, some people say 75, but really it's the health outcomes. And so as we age, there's several things that start to what we would consider deteriorate. That's going to be your sensory system. So that's going to be your ability to know, is it hot, is it cold, where you are in space, um, can you hear? Can you see? We see that a lot with some of our patients, right? Like we're yelling at them and they're like, what? Um, particularly my voice, right? Then we have mobility issues and how they walk or their gait cycle. We tend to see people who shuffle their feet. That's not a normal gait pattern when we're younger. But as we age, we're not aware of our feet where we are in space and so we shuffle along the ground just to make sure we're not going to fall but that causes its own issues also um, we've heard of things like osteoporosis or osteopenia uh, more for women but it also is in men so that's just weakening of the bones that happens with age the less less strength training that you do more impact on your bones it's going to cause weakness um, balance. We also have issues with balance, right? So the less you hear, that causes uh, balance issues as well as just your sensory system of where you are in space. Your muscle mass tends to decrease as well as that power. So you may have been benching, you know, 300 when you were 20, but by the time you're 60 or 70, you know, I'd, I'd be impressed um, if you can bench you know, a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of all these things that you're saying. I'm like, man, I wonder if, you know, you're talking about like lack of coordination or loss of strength or agility or whatever like that. So it's, I guess it's a continuum. Like for some people, maybe you are at your peak, you know, physical ability in high school. And then since then you just haven't done anything like, so I'm trying to think about things that I've done in my life that like, what if, you know, I'll never be able to do a box jump to like a certain height, you know, again in my life, just because I'm getting older and it's just not going to happen. And you don't think about it probably, you know, I probably say I don't try doing that box jump for another 10 years, but then when it's actually time to try it, like, oh man, I can't do that anymore. So there could be things in my life, like, uh, I don't know, skiing or something like that, where, you know, you don't go for a couple of years and then all of a sudden, you know, you can't perform like you thought you could or or do what you remember your body could do. Exactly. And that's really the hard part when we talk about aging is we remember ourselves at our best, right? We've been in the department 10 years now. I tend to think of myself as probably 10 years younger. Not that I negate the last 10 years, but I tend to think of myself being able to do those things. And it may not be a huge difference, but it is different. You know, the academy gets you in amazing shape. And I can't say that I'm in that same shape because I've had a lot of issues since then. All right. But your mind, you're just in your mind. You're just always there. You're just like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Like the academy was yesterday. Yeah. Right. Um, some of the other changes has to do with our executive functions. And our executive functions um, has to do with how your brain activates. And that's going to be organizing, um, regulating your alertness, uh, sustaining effort, your memory. Right. So... We can remember the academy, but can I remember what I did yesterday? Not always. Managing emotions, which we tend not to think of. We tend to think of managing emotions as an issue for like 
teenage kids. Um, but as people age, and we've seen that on calls, right, where they just are frustrated, they can't talk, they're yelling at you, and they, they just can't regulate as well. And then just monitoring the, and regulating their own actions. Because again, we tend to think of ourselves as younger. Well, when I'm 70, I probably shouldn't be carrying, you know, 50 pound bags of concrete or whatever it is I do now. When I'm 70, I should probably ask for help. So yeah, that's a good breakdown of all the changes in the body. And I guess when I think of uh, geriatric patients, I just think of, you know, it's kind of just a total accumulation of all your life decisions. So if you're 70 and you've made good choices, like throughout your whole life, you're probably, you know, in amazing shape. And most people wouldn't consider you to be uh, elderly or a geriatric patient because you're, you're mobile, you're flexible, you can lift a 50 pound bag of concrete, no big deal. But if somebody's been sitting in their lounge chair since they're 40, you know, every single day after working at a desk, you know, that they could be extremely unhealthy and mobile. So when I think about geriatric patients, I think about people on, you know, 15 medications, um, say a smoker. My brother has been smoking since high school. He's 40 now. He doesn't have really any uh, health effects. He's not on oxygen or anything, but you give him another 30 years, he's probably going to be um, end up with emphysema. He's going to be on oxygen when he goes to sleep. So it just takes time for all those bad decisions to accumulate and uh, start affecting your health. Exactly. And in the 911 system, that's really hard to pin down when we run across patients with that. In the heart program, we spend anywhere from an hour to like 25, you know, throughout the course of working with them to where we're really getting that history, seeing where they're at, seeing what life has in store for them. And that gives us a different point of view. Um, in heart, we do get to work with a lot of older individuals and you hear their stories. And so while they're referred to us because they keep falling, you talk to them and there's a whole slew of other health issues that have never been addressed or they don't want to admit that they have them, which is just crazy to me. But no one wants to admit that their lifestyle has caused their current issues. Yeah. All right. So uh, getting to the topic of today. So it's geriatrics, but it's also fall specific. So, you know, falls, I guess they occur at all ages, but I think they're pretty a lot more prevalent in the older population i'm trying to think of the last time i fell actually was uh not too long ago it was like three months ago i think i was running doing like a trail run and i just took a spill <laughs> my footing got off i took a spill and and luckily like there were no uh serious consequences but there are you know if young people fall whether it's on a you know a bike or running or playing sports or something like that they can they can have some serious uh consequences same with the older people but they're just more frequent in the elderly yeah and so we want to define what a fall is the definition right is any event that leads to an unplanned unexpected contact with a supporting surface so that can be the floor which is what we typically think of but that could be like falling into a wall or a chair or anything like that um, we like to say that it's an un unintended or unexpected gravity check that opens it up a little bit more, right? Because it's not just a face down on the ground, but that's those trips and those slips. Um, the difference, though, is that when you're 30 running in the foothills, you can adjust and, and react and not have it be serious. As we age with those age-related changes we talked about, that ability to correct and reduce the 
severity isn't there. And so I talked to a lot of older folks who are like, yeah, I was falling and like, I knew what I needed to do. They just couldn't react. And so they fall and that one fall creates a fear. And so then it starts compounding to where they start falling more and more because they're changing the way they interact with the world. So have you changed how you start, how you run in the foothills now? Or are you not yet a couple dozen more times and then it might sink in for me. Right. And then you're like, okay, I should probably change something. But for older folks, they fall once while they knew their best friend, Sally, who fell and broke her hip or this and that. And so it starts getting into their head. So then they stop doing things. So I'm glad to hear you're still out running, but look, think of that 60 year old who fell. Are they going to want to get up and go carry groceries from their car? Cause that's where they fell. Are they going to be a little bit more hesitant? And so that's the cycle of falls that older people tend to experience that when we're young, we just laugh at ourselves and brush it off and go like, oh, well, that was stupid. And then life goes on. But if that's more constant, that's the only thing you think about. Right. Yeah. Actually, uh, when it comes to say like snowboarding or skiing or something like that, I think I've, I've known people, you know, thirties and forties and they, you know, break their wrist or something like that. And they just decide like, I'm not doing that anymore. I can't afford to break my wrist. And, you know, so it actually does affect their, um, their lifestyle, even at a much younger age, if, if the consequences are serious enough. Right. So it's that cost versus benefit. Right. And as we age, as much as we don't want to realize it, that cost goes up. And so at what point do we say, nah, I'm not going to go snowboarding. And that's an extreme. I've never been snowboarding, but I can see how if you break your arm, I'm going to be like, "Uh, maybe I'm not going to try that. But if you're tripping, getting your groceries from your car, is that something you can really give up? But they make that choice too. So then that leads to nutritional deficiencies right because they're not willing to get the heavier groceries that may be a little bit more nutritious because of that fear of falling okay so that's going to be the uh, change in the lifestyle let's talk about the actual physical changes to the body that you brought up already but how that impacts you know this 82 year old as they fall while they're going to the bathroom in the middle of the night Sure. So when we think of that older person, right, they're shuffling their feet, they're looking forward, they're up at 4 a.m. trying to go to the bathroom. That's when a lot of our fall calls are, right? They don't turn on the light, so they already have poorer vision than someone, let alone in the dark. So if there's any tripping hazards, that's a possibility. Then we uh, add in the fact that they're looking forward, so they're already in a downward projection, right? So there's an old adage that where your head goes, your body will follow. So if they're looking down, they trip head first. When you're two, not necessarily a big issue. They got big heads, but they're lower to the ground. When you are 6'5 and 82, it causes a little bit more of an issue. We have those more than likely weaker bones, so may not be the clinical diagnosis of osteoporosis, but they aren't as strong, um, so the risk of fracture increases. And then we also have to look at the brain space um, within the skull. So it may not be much, but as we age, our brain tends to shrink. So we're talking, you know, millimeter. But that millimeter of space really allows for concussions to increase their availability. Not to mention 
the ability for subdurable hematomas, any type of brain bleed. You compound or you add in blood thin blood thinners, um, any type of medications where they're just not able to coagulate is going to be an issue, right? Yeah. And I guess let's talk about how serious it is. So, um, 82 year old, six, five male, it sounds like fell down and broke his hip. Like what's his life going to be like for the next three months? Oh, the next three months are going to be rough, particularly in this COVID world, right? Because he's going to go to the ER He's going to have to go through rehab. He's going to have to do a variety of things. There's PT, there's OT. It's a deliberate process of trying to get things done. But when you deal with a hip, they're bed bound a lot of times. So you're looking at bed sores. You're looking at increased risk of infection. You're looking at potential UTIs. You're looking at even more atrophy. Exactly, more atrophy. So where they were already poorly mobile, it's going to compound because now they're in a bed for two to three months, depending on how severe the fracture is. And then just standing up, you know, it's going to be painful. So going through that PT, you know, I've had relatives where they just don't want to do it. And, you know, if somebody's stubborn enough, what are you going to do? You'd be like, well, this is really good for you. And a lot of times, you know, from their perspective, it's not worth the pain and the kind of uh, misery that they have to go go through to say go through uh, physical therapy three times a day or whatever the um, the schedule is for them. Yeah, and then we come in um, in the nine one one right. So maybe they've been discharged home and they're supposed to be doing PT and they tell you they're not because they just don't want to. And that's that's the hard part of dealing with older folks because what's that cost versus benefit? And if it's hard. A lot of older folks don't want to do it. Okay, so you mentioned that you help people with uh, fall recovery. So I think we're at that stage now. And what does that involve? So the fall recovery classes that we teach, we were doing them at the senior centers, and now we started doing them within the homes. This is really the interesting point where we are trying to intervene prior to where they're at home not interacting. Um, and so at the senior centers, you tend to have a little bit more of active individuals. Um, but we talk about kind of what we've already talked about here on this podcast is the sensory changes, the physical changes, all the potential fear that comes with falling. And then we actually get them down on the ground and then we teach them how to get back up. When we think about getting someone up as a fireman, right, there's two to six to what, 10 of us on a call at any point in time, like getting someone up is not a big deal. Um, But how do we help teach them to get themselves up? Um, And with that, if I fall and I have to call the fire department and it took six guys to get me up, the next time I fall, even if it's not severe, I'm less likely to try to get up on my own because the last time I did, I needed six people Or even if they weren't all helping me up, that's how many showed up. And so really looking at from the patient's point of view of how do we help themselves become more aware of their issues, um, which is more of the heart program. But even on 911, how do we come in instead of just solving the problem, helping them help us solve a problem? All right. I guess uh, I'd like to walk through like a 17 Bravo do you have any stats on, on falls in the department, by the way, since we're talking about it? 
Oh, I meant to look this up. I know that we were the number one call for the month of, or not we were, but 17s were the number one call for the month of June. Okay. So uh, very common. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening has been on their share of these 17 alphas, bravos, whatever you get dispatched out to. And so what are some considerations that we want to think about as we're responding? Just put yourself back in the rescue role, say. Well, first first of all is our age, right? So rescues tend to go on some of those older patients where um, pumpers and ladders tend to go on the younger demographic, if you will. Um, not that age means anything necessarily, cause you can have a super active 86 year old who's not on anything versus a 40 year old who's on everything, but it starts getting me to think of what it is I need to be considering. So our protocols have that, uh, fall 65 years or older, we want to put on a C collar. They're not comfortable. I don't put them on all of them, but if they're starting to be a little disoriented and I don't feel that they're answering questions. That's something I want to consider. Yeah. So clearing that C-spine, uh, for everybody that's, I guess, not the officer, you know, you just want to get that out of the way right away with these falls, you know, palpate and, um, ask them if they have any pain while you're doing that. Yeah. And the thing to keep in mind is with our geriatric population is that asking them if they have no pain may or may not be reliable because they may not be having the sensation or they're always in pain and it's not anything different. So yes, we want to ask, but we also want to see, are they wincing in pain when they try to turn their head? Cause that may be a bigger indicator than no, I have no pain. Okay. But so we get the dispatch, uh, I get to the truck. So I want to make sure at least I have a C collar, um, consider bringing one of the pediatric C collars because our old, some of our older folks are smaller. The adult size just is a little too big. We get on scene. One of the things that I think is not looked at a lot of times is pain management for older folks. It may be a 86 year old tiny female, but she can probably, she's, she can handle some pain. (laughs) And so she may be saying it's only a one or two, but then you go to try to move her because she has a broken hip. Those those are things to consider. Don't move somebody with a broken hip without giving them pain meds. That's cruel. Very cruel. Um, I remember a call um, that I had out in sevens. I want to say she was in her 70s or 80s, tripped on carpet in the house. Um, It was wall-to-wall carpet, so not a rug, but she tripped on the carpet coming out of the bathroom. Seemed like her hip had some sort of distortion. She initially didn't want pain meds. We tried to move her, and she's like, oh, maybe maybe that'd be a good idea. (laughs) So, But those type of considerations just as you're thinking about it. So uh, on our 17 alphas in particular, right, we don't run with 5.5 anymore. So as the rescue officer, I want to be getting down my narcs off the truck. I don't always do that, but on calls where it's a fall, that's something I want to be grabbing. Um, Then we go into the house. We want to look at if it's just the rescue, is this someone that we can move and take care of by ourselves? Um, If there's a lot of blood, you know, you want to be bandaging them up. Um, if there's no blood, they can still be bleeding. It's just where is that that bleeding going? If, you, if they have like a goose egg on their head and they're on blood thinners, even if they're alert and oriented right now, we want to consider getting them packaged and going to, to the ER. Um, that may be a harder sell just because they're like, no, I'm fine. But 
knowing how blood thinners work, how all of this happens, just asking questions for me personally isn't enough. Yeah. And just maybe educating the person or the family, you know, a lot of times there's family with them and just say, look, these, uh, head bleeds are, are, they kill older people. And if you're, if you have a fall, you know, just knowing that that's a possibility. So when the part on the refusal where it's like, this could lead to death, you know, just kind of emphasize that falls and, um, the smaller brain and things that you've already brought up. Yeah. And when I talk with the patients and the family, I do talk about the death aspect because sometimes that works for people, but for other people, it's just the thought that they aren't going to be able to do the things that they were able to before. And so not going to the extreme, but being like, you know, I want you to stay independent. I want you to be able to stay home. But if this progresses worse and no one's here, then that's not an option And so sometimes that approach also works, which is not typically our go-to approach. Like if we get that stubborn 85-year-old who's just like, I'm not going, then we're like, you realize this will lead to your death. And they're like, I'm good. Yeah. And then that just leaves everyone frustrated. Right. Okay. And then um, I guess if you talk about just ruling out any kind of, uh, you know, medical cause of the fall. Yeah. This is where some of the questions Um, come into play, but then also just looking around, right? So if they fell in the bathroom in the middle of the night, you want to see if there's any new medications. It could just be a trip and fall. They didn't see the corner of the doorway, but it could also be that they were put on a new medication in the last few days. And so how many medications are they on? Have they ever talked to a pharmacist about the potential consequences of the different medications interacting with each other? Um, You know, if you have your heart specialist and your endocrinologist and your eye doctor and all of these different types of doctors all giving you medications, most people don't ever have one physician or one pharmacist that they can go to and say, am I overdosing? Is this doing the same thing? They just take whatever it is their doctors tell them to, and that can lead to issues. And so mechanical falls are almost easier because you're like, oh, you tripped. I can do this. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we're not going to get into all the medical causes, but just make sure that you're uh, trying to obtain a story. And again, on these patients, it can be challenging sometimes because we're not sure what their baseline is. You know, some of them are always, you know, living in 1985. 1985 was a good year, but uh, it is one of those things where we don't know their baseline. We just met them. Or even if you've run on them a few times, then you can kind of say, well, you know, Sally Joe acts like this normally, but today she's a little off. And they're going to tell you their best story. I can't tell you how many times, either in the field doing 911 calls or now in heart, where they will tell me stories up the wazoo that have nothing to do with their actual situation. But that's the reality they choose to portray. It's just not reflective of how they actually live, which makes these calls even much harder to deal with. Okay. And then, um, when you're talking about a rescue, having just two people trying to lift somebody up, one of the things I I forget if you mentioned just calling for an engine for lift assistance, um, or have you ever used like towels or, um, webbing or anything like that as assistance to, to get somebody up just to make it a safer lift for everybody? Uh, yes, I do. And if they are like alert and oriented, capable of moving, I even have them help me get themselves up. So whether that's helping them 
um, crawl or move or bring a chair closer to them and help assist them so they use their own body weight so I'm not pulling on shoulders or hips or anything like that but webbing's great to use um, towels are also great to use and I the webbing I've used on the hips just to help control and the towels are great because our first instinct is just to pull on someone's arm well we already have folks with less muscle mass, weaker bones, greater issues. Now we're going to pull on their arms. That can lead to issues. But there's been a number of times where I feel bad, but I have to call out extra help because either the patient size or the location, just the two of us, it's not safe for us to do it. And as much as we want to help the individual and help the engine guys not get up, it's safety for everyone. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good uh, discussion on falls. Uh, I was wondering if you could leave us with like a, a going away message on uh, these home modifications. And, you know, if somebody fell once, there's probably a lot of things in their home or uh, apartment that contributed to that fall. And um, maybe we could fix it for the future so they're not going through that again. Yeah, I mean, the heart referrals for the home modification um, are great. You don't, they don't have to be a repeat patient to do that. Um, You can just let them know like, hey, would you be interested in grab bars? And you just send that referral and I'll make calls and um, get out to them and see what we can do to help facilitate greater movement within their own house. And do you do any kind of uh, education about rugs and stuff like that ever? Is that not very successful? Um, you know, people and their stuff is a, is a hard nut to crack, but we do talk about it. And that conversation generally takes two or three times before they're like, okay, maybe having six tables in the hallway isn't the best idea. Uh, <laughs> so Awesome. All right, Athena. Well, thanks so much for coming on and, uh, you know, sharing. It sounds like this is your area of expertise now of dealing with falls. So falls happen every day. It's just how we deal with them. So thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. Talk to everybody on the next episode.